Hello and welcome to another episode of So Here's the Thing with Marquis. I am here with my very special guest, Daniel Carter, and uh, we will be talking about many, many things on today's podcast. But I, first of all, I want to thank you for uh, coming and uh, agreeing to be on the podcast. It's super exciting. Uh, I mean, we're friends already, so there's that. But um, it's nice to have um, a conversation with a friend that may go deeper than some other conversations that you have with friends. <laughs> <laughs> I do tend to go deep. That is, that is um, one of my things. I think we both are, we are liking that way. I think that's yes. one of the things that sort of bonded us in the first place. Um, so that's nice. All right. So why don't you introduce yourself, interest, uh, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll, we'll, we'll dive right in. Okay. I am Daniel. And how Carter. do we know each other? Also. Oh yes. <laughs> uh, so Marky and I, we initially met in doing Hairspray, mm. which was a lot of fun. It was the first play that a full musical that I had done in a long time, like 10 plus years. It had mm. been a really long time since I'd done a full musical. But yeah, I, I mean, would not have guessed that. It seemed like you were like right on it, like you like you knew exactly what to do, how to do, how to how to you know pitch your voice, etc. I mean, I have and of a course str- you're a dancer. Yeah, I have a strong performance background. I mm. mean, I did grow up doing musical theater. I've sung my whole life. I was a professional modern dancer and did a lot with that. And I mean, I did audiobook recording, so I mm. knew about voices. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I've done all the different aspects. So it was it was like jumping back into water. And how old are you? Uh, 32. Yeah, 32. 32. I've okay. uh, been living in the D.C. area for uh, a little over six years. Do you feel 32? I do. I feel, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 40 in a couple of weeks. And I'm yeah. like, yo. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I mean, you still look like listen. a lot younger than that. <laughs> so for my 40th, I am actually going to Paris, which I'm super excited about. Um, and I'm going for nine days. And I think, you know, the thing I was just talking to somebody today, the, the most, the thing that I'm most excited about is being away from work and being away from the show and being away from this podcast. Like, I, like not that the podcast is bad, but you know, I don't, I don't have to yeah. think about anything else. It's just going to be just presumably, hopefully all loveliness, yeah. like releasing you know. all the stressors. Mm. And not thinking about just it. chilling. I'm not oh gonna, yeah, I'm not gonna bring my my work phone. None of it. Uh, you know, the uh, really really be on vacation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I'm went not. on a, my first cruise in August, and <laughs> it was like that because we were in the Caribbean and everything, and so it was like I got nothing. So I'm Even just chilling and I'm just doing to meet my thing. You. Yeah, exactly. Then just like, well, <laughs> listen, like I'm on this cruise. Like I'm oh, done. So I'm super I hope excited it is like about that. that. For you. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. I'll, I'll keep you and my listeners updated yeah. <laughs> about my um, about my trip. So um, we know each other from Hairspray. We've mm-hmm. only done the one show together so far. So yes. far, well, we'll do many shows together again. Would love that. And um, then we became friends and just started hanging out after the show, which is a lovely thing. Yeah. And you have been following my podcast. And have agreed to be uh, a guest, my now third guest on the uh, on the podcast, and uh, uh, walk us through or t- and tell us a little bit about why you agreed to be on the podcast. I agreed to be on the podcast because I believe it almost seems like a like a slavery thing. Like, why did you agree to this? No, 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 no I mean, <laughs> like <laughs> I think that storytelling is really important. Mm. Um, I I have found great wealth in hearing other people's experiences, Mm. um, which I will definitely get into as we are talking because, because other people's lived experiences are very important to understand because no one person has complete truth or understanding or full perspective from where they sit. Mm -hmm. And so being able to give voice to a person's lived experience, even if it doesn't necessarily align with how you perceive things. I think is important to understand and to and to give to other people so that we can all grow and learn from each other. So for me, like that, that's important, and I want to be part of that. And you give a beautiful place to be able to do that. <laughs> so let me say this to you: I'm listening to you. I'm, I'm, uh, of course, I'm enraptured by your words, but of course, I know you, right? Yeah. 
And my listeners would be like, wow, this guy sounds like he's super enlightened. And like, where did this, <laughs> like, where did this come from? He sounds like he's very zen and very like sort of, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Like on a, on a higher plane. Almost. Uh. <laughs> so um, well, let, let's talk a little bit about how you even became to, uh, came to have at least some um, understanding of that perspective and that is why you're on the podcast or why, why you're on this particular pod, uh, episode of the podcast is you grew up as a Mormon I did. and so um, we'll talk quite a bit about your experience as um, growing up in the Mormon faith what that was like for you because I have no sense of it um, as you may or may not have heard from pre- previous podcasts I did not grow up in a religious family I have some religious background here and there um, certainly my father's side is more religious, but um, I have no sense of it, I, or at least very little sense of it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, let's just dive right in. You grew up as a Mormon, right? I did, yes. Um, so, where were you born, um, and how did, how did that come to be? Yeah. I assume your parents were Mormon also. Yes, yeah. So, I was born and raised in Utah County, which is... Uh, just south of of Salt Lake, so I, I was <clears throat> raised about an hour south of Salt Lake. Okay, Salt Lake City in Utah. So I was born and raised in the hub of Mormonism, um, which was fascinating. Uh, so yeah, my both sides of my family have generations of Mormons in them. So, so your father was a Mormon, or is a Mormon? Yes, your mother's a my Mormon. My mother is, and, and your grandfather and, so and my on and grandparents, so and quite a bit of. Quite a bit back, yeah. Mm. Um, on both sides, there is plenty of Mormon roots. Um, and I am born into a family of nine kids. Mm. So I have a twin brother. There's the two of us mm-hmm. at the end. We have one younger sister. So we're right at the the bottom of the barrel. Um, so nine kids. Yeah. Um, which leads, leads or begs the question, Mormons birth control, Right. Is that a thing or not a thing? Um, it's an interesting place because, like, so talk about m- my parents who grew up in the seventies. Like, so birth control was still a very iffy thing, mm. even at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we're just coming from a Mormon perspective, it was definitely you're supposed to have the children God wants you to have, mm. and so birth control, I would say, culturally was frowned upon a lot more so, um, grow, especially like with my parents and their generation and the generation after them. That After them or before them? Um, before them, for okay, sure. Okay, yeah, okay. But after them as well. And that they were taught that birth control was not so much something that you should go for because God has a plan for you and what, however many children God gives to you, you should accept. Thus comes huge Mormon family. So like my family of nine, it was on the slightly larger side with Mormon families. Probably more Mormon families were like six or seven. Um, but I had friends who had 13 or 14 children in their family, all from the same mom. But let me ask you this. Wouldn't, if God wants you to have 14 children, even if you're on birth control, God wants you to have 14 children. So, I mean, how does that drive? You know what I'm saying? Like, well, then you're coming to, well, how long are, is the woman's body going to be kicking to be able mm, to keep putting out mm, babies? Okay. And so, like... Mm, in my family, I mean, we're, we're like two years apart. Mm. We just kept coming and coming and coming. And that th- that's the pattern for a lot of of traditional Mormon families from the same era that my family came from. So so is it, and we'll, I guess we'll come to this at some point, or maybe we're coming to it right now. Is it the, the sole responsibility of the woman to keep herself healthy enough to have like enough children? Or is, is let's say, infertility in, in a man... Is that frowned upon? Like, oh, how dare you? Not how dare you, but you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, you are infertile as a man as and a Mormon, like, you're useless. I mean, I, I, not you, I don't know how to phrase yeah. that. You know what I'm saying? I actually, I don't really know because mm. it probably doesn't. I've been single for 32 years of, like, I've mm. not been married and I've right. not procreated right. and thus, I've not really entered into that space nor has anyone really talked with me about it now women are talked about a ton and we can get into that if you want like there's a lot of issues that 
I personally see with the way that the church, the Mormon church treats women mm-hmm. and perceives them. Um, men are definitely on a pedestal in the way of power, whereas women are talked about on a pedestal, but yet are still demeaned. There's, there's a lot that goes around all that. Sure. But yeah, as for that, I mean, women are encouraged to, <coughs> you're good. Women are encouraged to get married young. So growing up, women are supposed to get married like 19 to 21 ish. Okay. Men. That's a short You window. go, oh yeah. You go on your mission at 19 you get home at 21, and within the next couple of years, you should be married. Mm. So, And you're marrying those 19, 20, 21-year-olds. So, girls. we're skipping ahead. Let's go. Let's, Sorry. Yes. No, no, no. It's okay. <laughs> um, you know, it's a conversation. So, let's talk about um, you You were born into a Mormon family, right? Yes. Which, yeah. um, the uh, I'm going to circle back to this question, but you were born into a Mormon family, but that doesn't necessarily make you Mormon until you're baptized, right? We'll circle back around to that. Kind of. So in an interesting way, okay. when Mormons are born, then one of the things that is traditionally done is that you will bless the baby. So you'll mm-hmm. bring this new baby to the congregation um, on Sunday, mm-hmm. and then the father will go up um, and will hold the baby with a bunch of other priesthood holders around him, and he will um, not only give the the baby it, um, the, its name, but also give it a blessing. And when he gives him that name or her that name, then it goes onto the records of the church. So at that time, that baby is put onto the records of the church, and so kind of becomes Mormon. Okay. But it's technically when they're eight years old and are baptized that they become. Mormon religiously. So, now let's back up a little bit. Growing up Mormon, we'll talk about that, right? Because you grew up in, as you say, the hub of Mormonism, right? Yeah, very much so. Um, <laughs> I had two people in my uh, graduating class that I can remember that were not Mormon. Mm. And we were a big school. Did you have some sense of growing uh, uh, because you were in the hub of Mormonism, did you have any sense growing up that there was any other religion? Did your parents expose you to that, like the fact that there are other religions, or were you like, "Oh, this is it, Mormonism"? And I, I will say that to, pre- to just to say that when I was growing up, even in my non-religious household, I only thought that it was just like Christianity, just period, right? And it wasn't until I moved to um, a, another city. And I was invited to a, a, a friend, a, a classmate's birthday party. I brought her a gift. This is long, uh, long story short, I brought her a gift. Brought the gift to the to the seventh grade birthday party. She opened it, and it was a cross. And everybody laughed because she was a she was she was Jewish. Oh shoot! And I had no sense. <laughs> I had no sense of it. Like I didn't know what I didn't know what Judaism was. But like she I, had, laughed. I, didn't, I didn't know. What, and it was all, no. Everybody else laughed. Oh, I was mortified. Laughed. Oh, I'm sure you were. Oh my! Yeah. I cried. <laughs> it was awful. Like because oh, and I, I went home and I was like, Mom, how come you didn't tell me that they were like like other people who believe in other things besides you know what i'm saying like i had no sense of it so did you have some sense of like is there that there are other things besides mormonism so yes i would say in a sense hyperly aware because and it's called mormonism right Right? i mean so yeah so for me growing up yes we were called Mormons. We were called LDS. We were called Latter-day Saints. The mm-hmm. full name of the church was the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mm-hmm. As of a couple years ago, then the current prophet of the Mormon church, Russell M. Nelson, said, hey, we aren't supposed to call this Mormon. We're not supposed to call it Mormon anymore mm. or even LDS. We shouldn't be shortening any of it. We should be using the name that, that God gave it, which is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mm. It was a whole thing. Yeah. Anyway, I could so, talk about it forever. Yeah. But so growing up, more, growing, growing up, up Mormon, it was you, Mormon. You yes. had some sense of. Well, we had a hyper sense of it because. Okay. Um, so the fascinating thing about being Mormon is that for a male, many fascinating things. Many, <laughs> many, many, many. Um, you kind of have <clears throat> a milestone structure. <clears throat> so you have at eight years old, you're baptized. At twelve years old, you receive what's called the Aaronic priesthood, which is um, spell that. A-A-R-O-N-I-C, Aaronic. 
So okay. from from um, Aaron, okay. who's in the Bible. Okay. So coming from that, that that is considered the lesser priesthood, and with that, you're able to bless and pass the sacrament. You're able to visit people in their homes and administer to them. You, you're you're able to do certain things within the church, and so at 12 years old, then you receive that priesthood. At 14 years old, then you become what's called a teacher, and you gain more responsibility in that priesthood. 16 years old, you become a priest, gain more responsibility. At 18, you become an elder, and you receive the Melchizedek priesthood. So you're 18, and you're an elder. Yes, according to Mormon terminology. Yes, okay. And so you gain what's called the Melchizedek priesthood, which is the higher priesthood. This is the priesthood that is used. Oh, <laughs> no, because I, like I'm listening and I'm like I want to look this up uh, later give on. Give me, give me a hot <laughs> second. Mel, oh, how do you say it? Melchizedek. Mm-hmm. For those of you listening, he's <laughs> Google searching it on his yes. phone. Okay, it's a hard one to spell. Shh, quiet, Google. Um, M e l c h i z e d e k. Um, there are other spellings of it, sure, but sure, that's, sure. Yeah. I believe that that's the King James Version okay. spelling. But Melchizedek was a prophet that actually came to Abraham, um, and it's part of where we get tithes from, because Melchizedek requires a tithe of Abraham, and Abraham gladly gives it. And so Melchizedek is actually where that little bit of doctrine about tithing, giving a tenth of what you own to the church, really? comes from. Yeah. I had no idea. Especially within Mormonism. That don't mind my eating, by the way. Anybody butter. who can hear this, don't mind it. <laughs> so, um, so the Melchizedek priesthood is the higher priesthood. This is what opens you up to all the powers of God. It's when you can start giving blessings to people by laying on of hands, which I can talk about. You can give healing blessings. You can dedicate homes. You can start to... You, um, what is dedicating homes? Um, so there are a lot of different things that you're able to do when you call upon the power of God. And one of those things is you can kneel down in a home and you can, um, what we call, dedicate it to God. Or in other words, give it God's protection against the devil. And so that's a thing that you can do. I heard what we call. And we'll come back to that later on. Okay. All right. So, um, yes. Um, but yeah, but that's, it just spans from there. But so at 18, that's what you get. And mm-hmm. then you go on a mission at 19. Is there and anything the, after that? Like after 18? Marriage. marriage. Oh, well, well, mission. Mission's mission. at 19. Okay. And that was a huge thing because that is what you are staring at. That's all of the, the stories that you're hearing growing up are missionary stories. And this is only males? Did you say male? Um, so females... Are different. They don't they do all the priesthood. Arc. Okay. They're taught about motherhood, and I could go into the female thing. And if you I want, want you to go to, into I the male will. first, but then okay. I, I do want to know about the female because but, I think but, it's interesting. Yes, the only parallel that, that the women get is when I was growing up, women couldn't go on missions until they were twenty-one, wow. and it was not required for men. It is more or less a required thing. Okay. But for women, it was like, <clears throat> eh, it's optional. We'd rather you get married. Oh wow. And so, um, I mean, there was a lot of women who would go to school for a bit, but it was more so that they could find a mate and then get married, and it wasn't really so they could finish school. So, like, Mm. education wasn't really, like, pushed for women. There was a lot, and it's still that way in some ways. It's shifted and changed a bit because they moved the mission ages, so now men can go at 18, women can go at 19, so now it's almost like everyone's going. But when you say education wasn't pushed for women... Was education, uh, how am I putting this, outsider point of view, was education, right, college, trade school, was that pushed for men or was it like, oh, we're going to educate you in a missionary way? No, it you was know required of men. So for men, so, so coming back to the timeline, sure. 19 is your mission and, <clears throat> and that, that is your pinnacle. That's when you are coming into manhood mm-hmm. and when you are going out for two years of your life to God knows who, where, where on the planet. So like for myself, I went to Budapest, Hungary. Mm. My twin went to Serbia. Mm. I had family members go to Japan, um, Mexico, to California, Spanish speaking, to Toronto, Canada, to Hawaii, to Spain. And that's just within, and I think I said Mexico, and that's just my nuclear family. Mm-hmm. 
And we went all over the place. We speak so many different languages mm-hmm. because of this. But you go out for two years and you preach the gospel of Christ, according to Mormons, and bring people to Mormonism. And then you come back, you are expected to go to something like you're supposed to develop your skills, whether that be in college or in a trade school, and get married. <clears throat> and then suddenly everything just kind of disappears <laughs> because then you've hit all your goals and now you just have to raise a family and have as many kids as possible and raise them well. Wow. But the mission is do a you huge keep, do you, thing. Uh, do you keep being a missionary after you've gotten married or is it just like... To an extent. So there's a, there is <coughs> a principle in Mormonism called every member a missionary. And it was something that was started up by... Say a, that again. Every member a missionary. Okay. I believe it was started up by Gordon B. Hinckley, who was a prophet back in the 90s. He was like my childhood prophet. He was my prophet most of my childhood and all the way up into my mission. And die, he died while I was on my mission. So, before you go, no, say, finish that, and then I'm gonna, and then, and then I'm gonna circle back. Go okay. Um, so every member of missionary, yes, it is taught and talked about and promoted all the time that we are always supposed to be doing missionary work. So when I meet someone else, I'm, when I was Mormon, then I was supposed to be thinking, how can I bring up the church or Christ mm. or something in my conversation so this person gets interested and wants to talk to me about it so that I can start working them towards wanting to meet with the missionaries so that they can be able to learn about the gospel so that they can be baptized and be brought into this wonderful, wonderful place that is prepared for them and willing to accept them. So that is something that Mormons are taught to constantly think throughout their entire lives. So let me ask you this, because it's part of the, um, let me say it this way. The word indoctrination comes with its own connotation. Yes. Generally negative. Yeah. Depending on who you ask. Right. But that's part of the indoctrination, right? Yes. Very much so. The, the next question then I, I do I do want to circle back is um, what is the incentive for you to think this way? So in some religions, the more in the religions, um, in some yeah, I'll say religions, the more people you bring in, the uh, the more highly respected you are. Mm-hmm. The more people you um, sort of, bring it you know uh, 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 convinced to come into the fold the the um in some even in some religions you even get like a little bit of uh, like a little bonus you know you get like a little like a monetary bonus which is a, a weird thing so is there an incentive for you or is it just purely from your heart like i want everyone to know about the gospel of jesus christ and about the prophet whatever the name the prophet is at the time et cetera. Et cetera. like is there an incentive Yes, I'm trying to remember where the scripture is that we use all the time, that Mormons use all the time in... Okay, so the scripture is from Doctrine and Covenants, which is a book of revelations compiled that Say Mormons that believe in. Do- the- Doctrine and Covenants. Doctrine and Covenants. Yes. Okay. Doctrine I heard and in. Covenants. Okay, okay. Doctrine and Covenants. Yep. Um, this is a book of revelations that Joseph Smith re- received along with the few at the end from other prophets, but majority of these are from Joseph Smith himself. Um, and so he... I don't know who Joseph Smith is, so tell us who are... Uh, Joseph Smith is the founder of Mormonism. Okay. So in the 1830s, I don't, or in the, yeah, the early 1800s, do you want me to do the whole history right now? Um, we'll come back to it, okay. but just say founder he's the... Founder of Mormonism, founder of Mormonism Mormon. first prophet okay. that restored the church. Okay, cool. So Got it. We'll get to that. Mm-hmm. So in Doctrine and Covenants, chapter 18... Actually, section, they're called sections. Section 18, um, starting in verse 10, it says, Remember the worth of souls is great in the sight of God. For behold, the Lord your Redeemer suffered death in the flesh, wherefore he suffered the pain of all men, that all men might repent and come unto him. And he hath risen again from the dead, that he might bring all men unto him on conditions of repentance. And how great is his joy in the soul that repenteth. Wherefore, you are called to cry repentance unto this people. And if it so be that you should labor all your days in crying repentance unto this people and bring, save it be one soul unto me, how great shall be your joy with him in the kingdom of my father. 
a lot of times we refer to that as ourselves. And now, if your joy will be great with one soul that you have brought unto me into the kingdom of my Father, how great will be your joy if you should bring many souls unto me? And it goes on from there. But that's, that right there surmises kind of the core is that the more good work that you do and people that you bring to God through the Mormon church, then not only will be your joy will be greater, but you're also bringing great joy unto other people. So, a couple things. And to God. Well, right, ultimately. Ultimately. Um, so a couple things, right? As I'm listening to this, this harkens back to something that I had in one of my previous episodes that I, I heard in one of my previous episodes, right? And the idea is that <clears throat> um, in the episode that um, I'm, I'm thinking about with Charmaine, mm-hmm. right? And, she, and for those of you who are listening, this is, uh, I don't know which episode it is, but uh, it's called um, something along the lines of Jehovah's Witness. I'll figure it out. But she's a Jehovah's Witness, and um, she has since left the faith. And one of the things that she talks about is um, this idea that it, it's it's a somewhat different but similar is in that if you go out and minister to people and you know maybe they're unpleasant to you but ultimately if you go out and minister to people listen you're saving these people's souls like yes. you're out here really doing the work of the Lord yeah you're not you know maybe. It takes a little bit more energy. Maybe it takes a little bit more time, but you are doing the work of the Lord. You are doing this for the glory of God. This isn't like, oh, you know, um, I am going to go from elder to, I don't even know what would be beyond elder, but you know what I'm saying? Like, priest. Yeah, you're not, you're you're not seeking, seeking for rank from this. Right. It's just like, hey, how, how much greater will, will, God's joy be, and my joy be, and that person's and joy that, be. Especially, yeah, that person, <clears throat> that I have this gift that right. I can bring to them. And if they reject it, they reject it, and hopefully they'll accept it another time. But, like, it is it is fault on me if I do not offer this to this person, even if they're not necessarily in a great place to accept it right now. So that that comes with its own allure. Of, totally. of selflessness. Yes. Like, I am being totally selfless in this moment, these moments, my life, whatever it is, right? Yeah, I gave two years of my life from 19 to 21 that I was not paid for. It was volunteer service, right. and I worked every day. Ex- except for Mondays, I had a preparation day where I got to write family, and I got to do my laundry and cook some meals and stuff. But mm. it was two full years of talking to people about God. So, yeah. so circling back, and we'll, we'll I, I want to make sure that the timeline doesn't get muddied. Right, right. Growing up Mormon, <laughs> right? Yes. Uh, first, I want you to talk about the main tenets of Mormonism, or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or however you want to call it, yes. right? <laughs> Tell us about the main tenets of Mormonism. First of all, they believe in Jesus Christ, right? Yes. They believe in God. Yes. Tell us about... Um, how they are similar, and then how they are different. Okay. So similarities to the main body of Christians <coughs> is, yes, they believe in Christ. They believe... I, I, almost, I don't want to interrupt you, and, and help me You're not okay. interrupt you. Do Mormons consider themselves as part of the, the main body of Christianity? Yes. Because you said that, and I was like... They totally do. Okay, and, so... And I'll get to the, I'll get to the differences, which yeah. is where a lot of... Other faiths in Christianity kind of side eye right, Mormonism right, and say, right, right. "I don't actually know if you right. are." But you, but you, but not you. But Mormons, but, but Mormons do definitely do. Yes, got it. Okay, claim cool. themselves I just, as Christians. I want them to to make that distinction because that's important. Because if Mormons see themselves as Christians, they will they act uh, differently than people who don't see themselves as traditional Christians. I don't know how else I to describe I do understand it. that, but there also comes the whole cultural aspect of Mormonism, right, right. which I would say is much more insular and um, just 
different. Isolating? Isolating and different, yes. So Mormons see themselves as much more unique than I would think most Christians see themselves as. Okay, so... Main tenets of, uh, of Christianism, uh, 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 of Mormonism, and we'll, and we'll get back to that. Yes. Yeah, so the main tenets that are um, similar, believing in Christ, believing that Christ performed the atonement so that our sins could be cleansed, and also that he died on the cross, was resurrected, and thus we are able to also be resurrected and come back to God. And he was the Son of God. And he was the Son of God. Okay. Yes. Okay. So those are like... The very means, much the right. same thing. Obviously, we believe in baptism. Mm-hmm. That baptism is a very important part. So covenants are important. Do you believe in Jesus Christ's miracles? Uh, Mormons do believe in no, Jesus yes. Christ's miracles. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So Mormons believe <clears throat> in Christ's miracles. Like the Bible is a canonized book of scripture to okay. Mormons, okay. Old Testament and New Testament. Okay. There are other scriptures, but that they claim, but the Bible is very much so. The Asterisks they put on the Bible is as far as it is translated correctly. Mm. So that's one of the interesting things that comes in when we start talking about other books of scripture. So I'll, I'll come to that in a second. But outside of that, I mean, they, they talk about love. They talk about service. They, um, there's tithing. So mm-hmm. like alms in other churches, um, so there, there are a lot of similarities. What about um, uh, this? The idea of um, what's what's what am I trying to say? Uh, rapture, um, Christ coming back to Earth. Yes, yeah, second coming is a yes, huge part. All of the that, millennium. Right. Okay. All of that is okay. is very much in in Mormonism. Um, <clears throat> so. I'll put it this way. If, because, let me not say if, because Mormons believe um, in Jesus Christ being presumably the only son of God, right? Mm. Well. <laughs> so, That's a difference in doctrine. Right, but yes. right. So <laughs> Jesus Christ is the only son, of, well, is the son of God, right? Is the son of God in the flesh. In the flesh. Yes. So, and um, the presumption being that in, in, for lack of a better word, for you, for those of you who can't see me, I'm using air quotes, traditional Christianity, right? Mm -hmm. It's only God and Jesus who can tell me what to do, right? It's only God and Jesus who are going to be held to this pedestal, Right. It's only God and Jesus who are worthy of my um, my uh, worship, right? So, how does how does because you mentioned the prophet before? Mm-hmm. How does the prophet come into it? Well, so the prophet is an intermediary mm. in in that sense. So, um, and this this comes to a very I mean this is something that is shared between Christian faiths. If we're looking at the Bible, it is littered with prophets. I mean, there's Moses. There is, um, I mean, Lot could have been one. Mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. have uh, Malachi. I mean, Daniel. We have Solomon. We have. I mean, it's like sure. every book name almost, and so plenty of prophets. And that is something that Mormons that is unique to Mormonism is that they claim that there is a living prophet on the earth today, and that that prophet is the head of the Mormon Church. But just as prophets worked in the Bible, they believe work now that they guide the Lord's church because they speak directly to God and receive revelation for the whole church. Okay. So um, tell us about the first prophet. No, go ahead. But you want to say something else? I was going to give you some differences. Yeah, no, first. go ahead. Yeah, sure. Different differences. Okay. So some of the differences <clears throat> are... Which is one of them. One yes. of them <laughs> is that there is a living prophet on mm-hmm. the earth today. Um, another one is actually in the Godhead structure itself. So in typical Christianity, then the Trinity is what is believed in. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so this is where a lot of Christian, um, Christian religions will kind of throw shade on Mormonism because Mormons um, claim that God and Jesus and the Holy Ghost are three separate beings. Mm. That when Joseph Smith... (coughs) 
that Joseph Smith, when he had the first vision, which I will talk about, saw God and Jesus in physical form, separate, and that the Holy Ghost was there with him as well. And that that is a huge thing for Mormons, that okay. God and Jesus are separate, different beings. Whereas with Trinity, it's kind of more muddled. And they're all kind of the same and one, but they're separate, but they're not. So that's a big difference. Um, there's also differences in the way that they see heaven and hell. So for Mormons, they don't just see heaven and hell. They see a heaven that is divided into three different kingdoms. Mm. There's the telestial, the terrestrial, and the celestial kingdom. All of these can be seen in 1 Corinthians 10 or so, chapter 15. It's one of those. Say two. it again. Telestial? Telestial. Terrestrial. Terrestrial. And celestial. And celestial. Okay. Yes. And so the telestial kingdom is for basically everyone who comes down here to the earth and lives and um, isn't isn't like a terrible, 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 terrible person okay. that like belongs in hell. Okay. So they're in the telestial. The terrestrial kingdom is for people who lived really good lives, were good people, um, did a lot of good things, but didn't ultimately accept the path that Christ has given them. Mm. which is the Mormon church. Um, and so that's where the celestial kingdom comes in. This is where God lives. This is where you are able to be in the presence of God. And you can only go there if you have gone through and had the ordinances that are within the Mormon church to be able to get there. And you have to be married. And oh. yes, so you have, so the oh. definition, kind of the definition of a, of a God is not is you cannot just be a god unto yourself. You must be in a partnership to be mm. a god. And so when you get to celestial, you you become a god yourself, or like yes. So that's okay. a that's another one of the interesting doctrinal points between Mormonism and other parts of Christianity is Mormons. Um, one of the teachings of Joseph Smith is that as man is, God once was. And as God is, man may become. Mm. So there's, and it's a powerful, powerful principle. Oh, I'm sure. I'm because sure. having that belief that you can one day become like God is huge. I mean, I know that it had a huge effect in my life mm. to be like, you know what? I have unlimited potential to grow and to be, and everyone else around me does as well. Oh, well, that's huge. And that's so, a huge difference. Yes, and that is what we call the eternal perspective, mm. which is a very unique identifier for Mormon perspective in the world. Can I interrupt? Yeah. Were you, were you no, done? that was about it. Okay, so a couple things. First of all, interesting information, right? Yeah. And it's all new to me. Um, second... There is this idea among many other religions that you are not going to be able to get to heaven, not because you haven't accepted Jesus Christ or 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 like you haven't accepted the 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 Lord as your savior, etc., but because they haven't deemed you worthy. Like it's not it's not this way, right? It's this way. It's it's like God hasn't deemed you worthy, so you're not coming to heaven, as opposed to Oh, I have accepted Jesus Christ, and I am going. You know what yes. I'm saying? That, there yeah. is a difference. And Mormonism there. does come at it from a judgment standpoint. Right. Like they definitely believe that there will be a judgment, mm. and that Christ will be there, like speaking on your behalf. But it's ultimately up to how you did in life. Like definitely, when we're talking about grace, it's. Um, it, it's grace after all you can do. And so you got to do all you can do. Mm. If you haven't, then so, but it's at, questionable. But at some point, let's say... So perfectionism is a huge thing. Well, right, exactly. Yeah. So if I've done all that I can do 90% of the time, but one day I didn't wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning because I just didn't feel like it, then, you know what I'm saying? Am I well, only going to... And that's where to... repentance comes in. <laughs> okay. So that's where using the atonement of Christ comes in <clears throat> and changing yourself and whatnot. So, but that also leads into a huge part of like judgment culture right. within Mormonism and whatnot. And the other thing I wanted to say was, this is the first time I'm actually hearing. And I'm, I am, 
I don't know how to feel about it. Actually, it's just a, it's just a different perspective. Many other uh, quote unquote air quote traditional Christian religions would never imagine that somebody could become a god or a god like. Right. You know what I mean? It is. Right. That's. Oh, it's huge. When I, you I said that, totally I was like, that. wait, just a second. Wait. <laughs> wait. So th- I can see how that would be powerful and alluring and um, very sort of a, a something to aspire to, right? It's life-changing. Oh, yeah. If you, I'm sure. If you accept that principle, mm. it can change everything. So uh, anything else you want to say about the main tenets of, of Christianity, uh, I'm sorry, of, of Mormonism, differences and similarities? Um, I mean, the other differences are like our temples. Mm. So, um, you call them temples, not churches. Yeah. So that, and that is something that I have to actually, that I've clarified a ton when talking with people is, yeah. So like we have the beautiful white temple there on I-495 here in the DC area, the Mm -hmm. Washington DC temple. So that is where specific ordinances are done within the Mormon church and covenants are made. So Meetings aren't really held there. We have chapels for that. Mm. So there are tons of chapels all throughout the D.C. area. And, and that is where people go to meet in their congregations, which we call wards. So wards and congregations, synon- synonymous. But you go there for your weekly meetings and activities and everything like that. The temple is solely reserved for specific covenants, specific ordinances, and on a very special occasion, very special meetings. So people aren't going to get married at the temple. That's no. where you get married. Oh, it's where you that get is, married. So one so of that's the, a covenant. One of the okay. big ordinances. So you have many. So the ordinance chain is basically baptism, then confirmation, which is getting the gift of the Holy Ghost. Okay. And then you have um, washing and anointings, your endowment, and then the top tier is getting your sealing. Wow. So Sealing is um, what is marriage. So that's celestial marriage. That's be the, so the difference is, is so bringing from personal example within my family, then many people have left of my siblings. Mm. Almost all of us have, have left the church. Mm. And um, at one point, then one of my siblings was getting married. And many of my family were not able to come into the temple to be there for that um, that occasion because they were not practicing members. And you have to have what is called the temple recommend, which means you're, you're putting your hands like Mormon. a certain thing. It's a, like is it a oh, card? I got like do you have to have um, a card? It's a card. What is it a card? Yeah. So no, let me just get this straight because this this again all of the information for me right. So I uh, I I grew up a Mormon. I've spent 18 years of my life studying the practices, etc. I went out for two years and was a missionary. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I got married to whoever it was, let's just say. And then at some point I said, you know what? This isn't for me. And I get divorced from my from my Mormon wife. And I, I dis, uh, uh, disassociate from the from the from the Mormon church. Mm-hmm. Apparently, I don't have my card anymore. Like, do they check the cards at the door? You renew it every... Yes, they do. Do they really? you renew it every two years. What? Yeah. That's... I'm looking at you like... It's very hard for me to imagine. It's your membership card. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, because it's so different. And, and, and for those of you listening, let me just say this. I'm not coming at this from a place of judgment. It's just surprise. Uh, it, it, I, I, it is. I have been to some churches. I wouldn't say many. I've been to a Protestant church. I've been to a Lutheran church. And this is on more than one occasion. All of the churches that I'm listening, I, uh, listing, I've been to on more than one occasion. And not once has anybody said, let me see your Baptist card. That like, you know what I'm saying? <clears throat> that does not happen if you go to church. Right. Well, even, I mean, well, because only, it's only, only when you go to a temple. Mm. But even then. But anyway, anyway, that, it, that seems like, so it, uh, does it, exp- I guess you said it renews every two years. So if it expires, are they like, oh, you can't come in because your card has expired. Do you have to pay for your card? Like, how does it work? So you don't pay for your, well. 
unless you want to talk about tithing. Well, ten percent right, <laughs> right. of your annual right. income. But, um, but you have to have an interview with your bishop, which is like your pastor, mm-hmm. and your stake president, which is whatever would be over multiple congregations. Um, so in, in Mormonism, you have your wards, which are the congregations. Oh, I was going to ask that. And then tell, a stake, tell us all the, all the, the structuring. The, yeah. The structure. Yeah. I mean, the, like the main titles. Yeah. So the, the base level is wards, which are the congregations, mm-hmm. which are made up of families and they're determined geographically, which is a unique thing to Mormonism. You don't choose which congregation you go to. It is designated for you by geography. Okay. So you go there. <coughs> A bishop is the leader of that. Then there are multiple wards. <clears throat> sorry, there are multiple wards that are under a stake. So a stake is the stake. A stake. Okay. S T A K E. Okay. Yep. And a stake president is over all of those. And then you have an area authority, and that person is over multiple stakes. Okay. And then. And it's only one person. Um, one person and, of course, counselors and other people to okay. help. But there is a president of each of these. Yeah. Okay. And then you have general authorities who are over those author- those um, area authorities that lead and guide them. Then you have a presidency of that. And then you have the apostles. And then you have the prophet. Two things. One. All men, by the way. Well, All men. Uh, that's that's the third question, and I said two, and this is the third. That was the third question. Number one, who came up with this structure? And then number two, has the structure always been around? As in, like this came from Joseph Smith, uh, Joseph Joseph Smith himself. And then we'll talk about Joseph Smith, and then the, how once a prophet dies, Mormonism doesn't mm-hmm. die. It just it just keeps going. Yeah. So Go ahead. So. Who came up with the structure? Do you know? Who came up with it? Mormons would claim Jesus did. Mm. And um, there are are even scriptures in, uh, I believe, the book of Matthew, within the New Testament, where Christ not only calls and ordains 12 apostles, but also does 70s. He actually, like, talks about, oh, I am ordaining or setting apart 70s to help rule 70s that he actually says it in the king james version of what the does Bible. that mean um <clears throat> that that is the structuring that we see christ setting down for his church okay yeah that there will be this body of people that help lead the church underneath the apostles are there 70 the of them? um yeah they're in they're in quorums of 70 oh okay yeah and so as the church has grown, then there have been multiple quorums of 70. So just below profit, what's the next, like, so, thing? Like, what's the next? So there's a prophet, which mm-hmm. currently is Russell M. Nelson. And then you have two counselors with him. And then you have the 12 apostles. Now, technically in Mormonism, all 15 of them are considered prophets. They all have the same powers, the same authorities, but the called prophet, Russell M. Nelson, is the only one with all of those active. So for the others, they are prophets, but they but they do not necessarily act in the full capacity of it at all times. So But in essence, there's fifteen. I assume that, and I don't know this for sure. I assume that even if I was an apostle. And I was like, yo, um, I think that I would like to create a structure where, where women be- can become bishops. Like, let's just let's just put let's say it outright mm-hmm. that women can become bishops, that Russell M. Nelson could be like, no, we're not doing that. Like, because he's the main one. You know what I'm saying? Like, is kind there of, um, there's a lot of debate that goes on between all of them and mm. a lot of. Like, do they disagree with each other? Or is it pretty yes. much like, there, uh... There is disagreement. The, okay. There is workings in there. The, the thing is, is I know the stories that I've been told. Mm. But I also know what I've been told outside of those stories about how it goes there. So for me, growing up, I was told any decision that comes down from the brethren, which when I say that means the apostles and the prophet, mm-hmm. um is unanimous. Mm. They have discussed it, debated it, 
sought the Spirit's guidance and that they have come to a unanimous decision on that. And that is what is handed down. Thus, it is the will of God. Okay. So that is what was taught to me. From what I have heard since then and in speaking with other people who have more of an insider view into all these things, it definitely seems that that is not necessarily what is happening all the time. I mean, Um, if you put 15 people in a room in general... Yeah. Almost certainly they're going to disagree on something. I well, mean. but that's where, so in Mormonism, that is where they would come and say, and that is why we, <coughs> that is why we are led of God. Because all of these men are connected to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit witnesses to them what the will of God is. And thus they become unanimous despite their differences. Mm. That is, I mean, and that's the claim. So it's, it's a powerful logic. So two other things, and then we'll circle back. And okay. we've we've sort of gone down a path. That's what happens, right? <laughs> that, that, that's how it goes. That's how conversations <laughs> go. So here's the thing, right? Um, <laughs> two things. One, growing up Mormon, and and being a, uh, for lack of a, a better term I'm trying to f- find the one that doesn't have a negative connotation but being indoctrinated into this religion mm-hmm. that is very patriarchal in its in in its in its structure and in the ways that it has given certain male or not even certain males but males more power than women as a male you are a male, yes. Very nice. <laughs> yes. As a male, that must have been very uh, sort of empowering for you, and I could see. Uh, the, uh, let, me, let me let me let me phrase it as a question. Did you did you notice that it was all men, or was it just like this is the way it, it, it is, and was it like not even a question? It did not become a question until. I was in my early 20s mm. because I grew up in Utah. Right. I grew up in Utah Valley, which is like, at that time, was like 90% Mormon, if not more. Mm-hmm. And, and so, I mean, everyone was in agreement on this. The, I, I had, so I was voted in my high school as the most likely to be a seminary teacher Mm. when I graduated Mm. because I knew all the answers. I knew all the logics. I knew how it all fit together. So like men had the priesthood and the power of God. Women had motherhood and they, they were able to bring children into this. So their calling was to be mothers. But for men, it was to lead, preside, and to, to be a provider and a protector. Like, very designated roles. And so it didn't bother me that women weren't leading because, well, that was obviously how it was supposed to be. I and, mean, and I assume, and I don't know this for sure, um, that women never, that, that women were not vocal about it bothering them. Or maybe it didn't bother them. Or, you know what I'm saying? Like, growing up, I did not hear you didn't much hear of it. it at all. Okay. It was not until in my 20s that I became more aware of this. Okay. Um, but yeah, I would say even all the way up through my mission, um, never did any such question ever cross so my mom, mind. So your mom, your sisters, none of them were no. like, oh, well, I wish that I could blah, 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 whatever no. the thing was. Because because the, the indoctrination was so well done. I mean, mm. we were in a whole society where you assumed anyone you talked to was Mormon. So... And thus, everyone was always watching each other. Thus, everyone was knew what the answers were and how things were supposed to be, and they accepted it because it was comfortable. So, a couple things, um, and this is all—it's not even really circling back, but it's—it's—it's it's, it's part of the growing up Mormon conversation. One, were there in my head, and in maybe some of my listeners' heads, all Mormons or most Mormons are white and male. Or female, there may be some, but there it's very like. Are there are like what's the percentage of like people of color who are Mormon, and as opposed to like white folks who are Mormon? Yeah. Side note, obviously, well, maybe not obviously, but I am black. <laughs> Pictures on the cover, <laughs> and, and Daniel is white. Yes, so there's that. But like you know, is is that like a? I'm. Sh- I don't know. I have no sense of it. 
So in Utah... Or American Mormons. Yeah. I don't know if it's like American Yeah, American? I'll, I'll yeah. touch on yeah. the different bases. Uh, for, for me growing up in Utah, uh, a black person was very rare to see. Mm. Very rare. It was practically all white folk and a few Hispanics. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, it was like all white all the time. Um, I knew that there were people of other races yes, yes, outside. That they but exist, yes. I, it was all theoretical to me. Mm. In, in theoretical? Large yes, which also, I, I probably shouldn't go down that route. No, 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 go ahead. No, because there's, there's a huge racist past mm. to the church. There's all sorts well, of things that this growing is why up. I ask, this is why I asked, yeah. because I, I'm sure that there must have been well, some. Growing up, like, people were black because of the Mark of Cain. Like, mm. That was a very touted thing so i so let's let's touch on that because i'm glad glad you brought that up do you want me to talk about the demographics real quick yes 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 keep going okay, and we'll come back to that <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna write a note yes thank you for not letting me interrupt you go ahead okay so demographics growing up in utah practically all white um few sprinkles here and there especially um samoans would come over to utah oh that's interesting that was one of our the things where we're like oh well, we got samoans here and it was that was interesting for us, but um, throughout the, the so the thing is is in the world now there are the church claims sixteen to seventeen million members, and a majority of those are outside of America. So at this point, I mean, super very very international church, obviously because there have been there were like. 52 or 3,000 missionaries throughout the world when I went on a mission. And then when the mission ages changed, it bumped up to like 64 or something thousand missionaries throughout the world. And this is in all corners of the world, all over the place, speaking all the languages. So let me ask you this. In some religions, <clears throat> I have heard, and let me just say this. I'm no like religion scholar. Let me be clear. <laughs> Um, but in some religions, I have heard that they count their numbers by whoever it is, like whoever's on the mailing list. Like if you get a, if, if you get a, a, um, a pamphlet, or. a pamphlet, or if your hotel has a, 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 a Gideon Bible, a Gideon Bible, <laughs> right? Then yeah. that's it. Mormon, like is uh, like I don't know how they count the numbers. So Keep for Mormon demographics, yes, it's it's about who's on their records. Mm. So. Um, so, for example, when I was on my mission, there was um, there was an area that I was in that, I mean, we had so many members on our rolls. Like, there there were hundreds of them, and we had like twenty people at church. Mm, okay, but yet all of those people, <coughs> even though they are what we would call inactive members. They definitely counted as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So even is though it, do, do they count because they pay tithes? No. Okay. They count because they have records. Okay. So so this is an interesting thing. Sure. So for me, having left the Mormon Church, I am still counted according to Mormons, uh, according to the the LDS Church, as being a member. Um, I am counted as an inactive member because I have hold myself away. If I wanted to stop being a member, I would have to either personally send a letter or an email, carefully worded because it's a pain in the butt, to church headquarters or through my bishop, or there are special sites called like quitmormon.org oh, wow. or com that a lawyer actually helps through the process. This is a whole thing, but you have to actually request it, go through a whole thing, and then they will remove your records, and only then are you no longer a member of the Do you have to pay church. the lawyer? No, there are a lot of freelance lawyers who are completely willing to do it pro bono because mm. they want people to have the option to leave without having to hassle through their bishops and stuff like that. So it can be very traumatizing. Let me just say this, because th at this point in the podcast, we have not even gotten to that point, I but know, it sorry. is important <laughs> for, for us to say at this point, you are no longer a Mormon. Yes, I, right? we, I am. I no longer claim myself as a Mormon. Okay. Yes. All right. So we'll get to that yeah. much, much later. Yes. yes. But yeah. Um, so black Mormons exist. There are lots of them. I mean, there are huge congregations in Africa. 
all throughout Africa. There's also huge congregations um, throughout South America, especially Brazil. I mean, it's they're having hundreds and hundreds of baptisms a month. Mm. Whereas when I was in Hungary, we had maybe a hundred-ish in a year. Okay. Um, so it depended on where you were at and what was happening. But yeah, there are Mormons of every color, of every nationality, all over the world in all different corners of it. So it's a very international church. But that being said, for majority of Mormon's history, even up to present time, it has been a very American-oriented mm-hmm. church um, and has tried to make steps over international bound, uh, boundaries to actually like incorporate the rest of the world, but has done so very clumsily or has not actually accomplished that at all. Um, it, it has a very hard time taking itself away from white man America perspective. Mm. Wow. Okay, so this has been actually a really interesting conversation so far, and I hate to cut it short, but we're just at about an hour, and um, I don't want to have the first episode go on for too long because we have so much more to discuss. So we'll pick this back up. Um, I'll just cut this right now, and we'll pick back up in a, in a bit. But this has been another episode of So Here's the Thing with my very special guest, Daniel Carter. Um, this is part one of his episode, and part two will be coming up shortly. We'll be, we will be discussing... Um, among other things, um, how um, um, the uh, this particular religion started, what it was like for Daniel growing up um, in this particular religion, and um, where he is right now. Thank you again for listening. This has been another episode of uh, So Here's the Thing, and uh, stay tuned for episode two. Thanks. Good night. Good night.